Happy Monday, and this hour of Flames Talk is underway. It's Monday, November 6th. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. This hour of Flames Talk on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Wes. Hey, buddy. Good to have you back this week. Good to be back. Um, well, I don't know if you remember last season, many of us... Tried to forget last season, but uh, last season, one of the big topics, especially as things were going off the rails and especially as it became more and more clear that the Flames are going to be in tough to make a playoff spot or to, to clinch a playoff spot, why why are they not giving young players more of an opportunity to help the team out? Why aren't young players getting more of a chance? Um, well, in the last four games... We have seen three NHL debuts, and we're 11 games into the season. Ilya Solovyov, Connor Zary, most recently uh, Martin Pospisil. In the cases of the last two, each of those guys scored in their NHL debuts. Zary on Wednesday and Pospisil in Seattle on Saturday. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty neat. Yeah. Looks like that streak might be broken Tuesday against Nashville. But it's just, it's interesting because... That was the conversation all last year. Is one of the main pointed criticisms from the outside, whether it be us people talking, writing, or those just giving their opinions as as fans. It was, why isn't Daryl Sutter giving player X or player Y more of an opportunity? Why is there such a reliance on veteran players? Well, you know, Craig Conroy talked about giving younger players a chance said that they were going to do something and to this point they've done something and I'll I'll say the kids have been pretty good. I I know that you're a big Solovyov guy. He played his two games, Zary's played his two games and looks like that'll continue. Pospisil's gotten a game in. In the last four games with NHL debuts being made, kids have been pretty decent. As as they say, the kids are all right, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just scrambling to look up as, as you were talking how many rookies even appeared for the flames last season. And the grand total was five. And a couple of those guys in, in Matt Coronado auditioning at the very end of the season. And and then obviously we all remember the Matthew Phillips saga. A couple of those guys didn't play very much at all. And so I think what's especially important to me, at least the way that I've viewed it over, over this past week and change, as we've seen these three new players introduced into the Flames lineup is also where they're getting introduced. Connor Zary put up 10 points in six games in the minors. Yep. I think you could quite easily make a case that under the previous regime, he probably plays on the fourth line in his NHL debut. Wasn't the case. Second line minutes on the power play, PP2, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Even Martin Pospisil to come up and find himself alongside Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman on, on a line that's going to play significant minutes and and then be out there with those guys at the end of the game trying to close out a victory in Seattle. So so not even taken off that line in favor of a more veteran presence in those crucial moments. I think that's what struck me as much as just those guys getting in the lineup is the way that they're used. They're They're being brought up at a point when their confidence is sky high, especially in, in the case of Zari and Pospisil to be having sort of career best stretches in the AHL offensively, and then to be put in a position where you're being given a real good showcase opportunity. Yep. They've they've in, infused a little spark. There's, there's a little bit of uh, extra jump, it feels like, ever since, especially the last two. And, and, and that's not a knock on Solovyov at all, but you, you insert a couple of forwards and, and put them in 
situations to succeed offensively on a team that has struggled offensively so far this season. You kind of get the feeling that it just was a, a, a tiny shot in the arm. And this was head coach Ryan Huska after practice on Monday morning and, and kind of said the same thing, a little bit of a shot in the arm, just a little bit of an infusion with some of these players. One thing, the young guys, they're excited to play their first games, of course, but it's also I don't want to call it a shot across the bow at all, but when you see some new guys come into the room, it's like, huh, they will bring some guys up at times. So I think it, it kind of goes both ways, but you feed off the excitement of a younger player. There's no doubt about it. Now, they're going to make some mistakes along the way, and the hope is it doesn't cost us some games when we when we use them in those situations. But I, I think both those guys in particular, and you can throw Nick in there too. He did a good job for us. So that was Ryan Huska on Monday morning following practice. And, and it's funny, you bring up that stat that you scrambled to find. Um, five rookies get into the lineup last year, and to your point, none of them really were given high leverage spots, right? I think of, and and did Matthew Phillips count as a rookie? He did, Okay. Yeah. So the list really quick, Yeah, I'll go in order of games played. Walker Dewar, Jacob Pelche, Dennis Gilbert, who I personally didn't realize was still classed as a rookie last season, Matt Coronado, Sorry, I messed up the games played there. Matthew Phillips with and then two, Matt, Coronado. Matt Coronado with the single. Well, so Matt Coronado steps and I in. I guess technically I wouldn't be looking at the goalies here. Dustin, Dustin Wolf, Wolf would, would yeah. count as well. So I guess six if you count in Wolf, but five skaters. Yeah. And Phillips came in, played two games, played less than 18 minutes, 17 minutes combined in those two games in strictly a fourth line role. Now did get a little bit of power play two time, if I remember correctly. A sniff, yeah. Um, Pelche came in, played a lot of games. What did he end up playing? Did he end up playing 19 last year? No, he played 24, which is why he's still a rookie. Just missed it by one. Correct. But he played like a good chunk in a row, then kind of went in and out of the lineup and then sat for like 10 straight games when the team was really in crunch time and needed wins. And I, I just remember talking at that point in February and March about how this team is lacking energy. They're starting games listlessly. And I, I kept on saying, wouldn't a guy like Pelche, who clearly that rubs off on guys, wouldn't having him in the lineup help and, and maybe even in a small way help how poor they were to start games? And so I bring that up only because I asked the question, is what we're seeing here part of why people were clamoring for it so much last year? And, and good on... Connor Zeri and, and good on Martin Pospisil and good on Ilya Slovyov because that's exactly right. If these guys weren't having an impact, I'm not sure we'd be clamoring to find out who the next kid to get recalled might be, right? If Connor Zeri played limited minutes, whether, whether that was a case of opportunity or performance, if we hadn't seen the goal and the assist and we hadn't seen a couple of these dazzling rushes, I mean, that delay move that he's now danced around two defensemen yep. with is really, really good. And so if we hadn't seen that, I'm not sure the conversation is quite the same today. If Martin Pospisil wasn't so effective, at least in my eyes, as a four checker in his NHL debut, in addition to finding the back of the net, I'm not sure the conversation is quite the same, but, but there should be a lot of people around the saddle dome, proud of what we've seen in the last 10 days or so from these three young guys, especially, you know, if you're, if you're involved with the development staff, if you're part of the Wranglers coaching staff, it, it's clear that these guys have been ready. Now, are they ready to play 50 NHL games? We're going to have to find that out whenever we get to that juncture. But in brief snippets, Connor Zary and the other two guys as well in Pospisil and Soloviev, I, I think have been quite impressive. Obviously, the Heritage Classic was a, a little bit of a rough ride for Soloviev, but I, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about what we've seen from all three of them. I, um, I just, it, it makes you wonder, what would have happened had maybe Pelche gotten more of a chance? I just, and, and, and we'll never know. It could have meant nothing. It yeah. could have meant nothing, but it just has me wondering could that have helped them start a game better once or twice and thus scratch out two more points, 
And maybe it's a different story, and maybe it's Calgary getting beat by Vegas in, in round one. I just I I, I I wonder about that just a little bit. Well, and I, I don't think anybody was beating Vegas, Winnipeg, or Calgary. No, and, and I I even think back to what Ryan Huska said in, in his media session today about it. Also puts the the veterans on notice a little bit, and that's not exactly how he phrased it, but the competition is there, right? Suddenly today. There's 14 forwards at Flames practice. Yep. Andrew Mangiapane's sitting one game for a suspension. Adam Ruzicka, it sure looks like, is poised to return after missing four games with a shoulder injury. Well, you don't think guys are looking around doing the math today? You don't think someone's sitting there going, well, Connor Zary doesn't look like he's coming out of the top six. Nazem Kadri's playing his best hockey of the season with Connor Zary on his wing, and I don't think that's a complete coincidence. No, so either. you don't... You can't tell me that some of the veteran guys aren't looking around and going, geez, how is this going to shake down? And I think that sort of reinforces your point. If you go back to last season and and Matthew Phillips was going to get a legitimate look in a top six spot, I wonder how maybe the veterans treat that differently. If you go back to last season and Coming out of the all-star break, it, it wasn't suddenly like Jacob Pelche's riding pine. It wasn't quite out of the buy and all-star break, but it was shortly thereafter. I do think it could have had a different impact. And that's not to go back and wonder what might have happened last season, because you're right. No one was no one was gonna be anything but a speed bump in that second wild card spot for the Vegas Golden Knights. But these kids right now are making it fair to wonder what could have been different. hundred percent. And I, I've been wondering that a lot the last three or four games. And, and I look, I, the flames are what? Three, six and one. Is that what the record is three, seven and one, three, seven and one. It's not like we're talking about a team that's tearing the league apart. No, you got to do a lot of scrolling to find them in the overall standings. So we're not sitting here, you know, waving pom-poms. They've won one game against Seattle. We're not suggesting that their problems are fixed or, hey, you know, uh, this is this is straight on till morning. They've got this now. But one of the positives during this rather rough 11-game start has been the fact that they talked about getting younger. Both the head, new head coach and the new general manager were adamant they want to give young players a shot. Matt Coronado got a bunch of games in. He's in the American League right now, as we know. Zeri, Solovyov, and now Pospisil. That's that's a really positive thing. And they recalled D. Simone. They gave him an opportunity. And he picked up his first NHL point in the win over Seattle. So it's, it's a positive that we've seen in what has been largely a negative and frustrating start. Well, because it's not cheerleading to point out that this is how you internally get better. Right, I, I know everyone, and we'll get into this later and throughout the week and, and throughout November and December and January and February, everyone's going to be clamoring for trades of the UFAs and who could we get for Noah Hannafin or what could we get for Elias Lindholm. We're going to have plenty of time to get into all that for if sure. that's the direction that this starts to go in. But I, I do think right now, 11 games into a season, it's how you figure out to get better with what you have. And this internal competition can be such a huge part of it, right? So, so again, Andrew Monshapani sits tomorrow night against the Nashville Predators as his punishment for that cross-check on Jared McCann of the Seattle Kraken. I would anticipate Andrew Mangiapane is going back onto that top line when he gets back. The other option would be that he goes onto that familiar line, line with yeah. Backland and Coleman. Well, what sort of pressure then are you putting on, and good pressure, are you putting on Dylan Dubé and Martin Pospisil tomorrow? Because that's how, that's how the competition needs to work. You need to really be fighting for your spot at the table. You could even put Connor Zary in, in that mix. He needs to have another good game tomorrow. And then somebody, whether it's Dylan Dubé, whether it's Martin Pospisil, whether it's a guy we're not thinking of, is losing his spot in the top nine. Yep. That's how internally you can nudge this thing in the right direction. Um, on the Zary front, I, I've really liked how Ryan Husk has used him. He's obviously, as you mentioned, been on that line with Kadri and Sharon Govich. They've been great. In two games, I think that's been Calgary's best line, bar none. Not no even questions close. Asked. And, and 
what I like is how Ryan Huska has used them. He's like, he's basically said, hey, you know what? We've got one of the top scorers in the American Hockey League. We've got Nazem Kadri, who we really need to get going offensively. And we've got this Yegor Sharangovich acquisition that we know has got a good shot and has got some speed, so let's use him offensively. And they have been used primarily as an offensive line. They have spent more time starting shifts or, or getting face-offs in the offensive zone, and they've done a good job with it. Listen to, listen to Zeri's numbers in his first two NHL games. So he is on shot share over 60% on five-on-five possession. So he's at 61.2%. Shot attempts for Calgary are 30-19 to when Zeri's out there. At five-on-five, the scoring chances are 16-12 Calgary, including 6-3 at high danger. So they are doing more good than... The other way around, they're spending more time on the attack. They're spending more time generating than they are the other side. And then individually, and this is at all strengths, Connor's area is nine shot attempts in two games, six shots in two games, four scoring chances, and three high danger scoring chances to go along with a goal and an assist. Those numbers, by the way, from natural stat tricks. So you're talking about a guy who has stepped in in two games for a team that has needed an offensive boost. And I'm not saying that the Flames should or will count on Zeri to be an offensive leader, but for a team that was looking for just a little bit of a step forward or a little bit more offensive spark in two games, and it's only six periods, but Zeri's given them just that. And, and I... I don't know if I was expecting it to be as noticeable as it's been. Nice save. I don't know if it's been, I, I don't know if I was expecting it to be as resounding early on as it's been. And I don't know how it's going to go in game three and beyond. But I know in six periods, he's done exactly what a lot of people have been hoping he would do. One of the, I think, questions with Connor Zary throughout his career in the minors, throughout sort of his development curve ever since being picked in the first round of the draft in 2020 has been his pace. Is he able to push the pace at an NHL level? And I got to tell you that has looked to me through two games and I'll just echo you very small sample size. That sort of looked like the least of the worries. This guy has been backing off defense probably more so than any player we've seen in a Flames uniform this season. Yep. He, I I love the confidence with the pocket, and we're going to get it into a situation, I guarantee it, in the next few games where he's going to get burned by it. It's going to end up in the back of the net in his own end. Just stick with it, because that confidence he has with the puck, that confidence he has in himself to make plays at this level has been really impressive to come up and, and yet I get it. He was coming up on an absolute tear in the AHL, but even with 10 points in your first six games in the minors this fall, yep. it's not easy to step into an NHL lineup and exude the type of confidence that Connor Zary has. And I, I've just been so impressed with him. I I'd add if not for the sort of sequence, he would have had a second point in Seattle because he, he started that, game, that the go ahead goal, yeah. That ends up back to Nick DeSimone, across to Nikita Zadorov, and then the deflection by Yegor Sharangovich. Yep. They they only put three names on the score sheet, but again, Connor Zeri had a really big impact in that play happening. And that was Yeah, won a battle in the corner. Yeah. And then made a nice read back to the line and, and got it to DeSimone. And that's the goal that a team that can't get out of their own way absolutely needed on Saturday. Yep. That's the goal that sends kind of a, a sense down the bench that, hey, boys, not only are, are we in this one, but we finally have a third period lead. Let's go close it out. Yep. And so Connor Zary, to me, has really exceeded expectations through two games. I, I've been really impressed, like I said, with the confidence and poise with the puck. And I, I'll just repeat again, also with what he seems to be drawing out of Nazem Kadri, both ways, because I think Nazem Kadri has been especially responsible defensively in these past two games, knowing that there might be some messes to clean up, but he's also starting to drive the play offensively the way you anticipated or or the way 
you expect that Nazem Kadri should. And I think Connor Zeri has definitely played a part in that. Um, this text reads, Gents, after seeing the boost Kadri's had with Zeri on his wing, I'm wondering if Pelche on a line with Huberdo could do a similar thing. We saw a bit of a bromance blossom between the two last season, and maybe they could develop the chemistry the Flames have been trying to find. That's from Steve in McKenzie. It's a good point. Now, I still think we're into December at the earliest is when we might be in the first window where Pelche might be able to return, but I believe the believe the sling's off now. Yeah, the sling is off. We saw him sitting on the bench at practice the other day. He was one of, and, and kudos to these guys in the uh, middle of a six-game losing skid. He was one of a handful of players that went to the Alberta Children's Hospital in Halloween costumes the other day, so he's been around. Yeah, we're not talking about a guy returning to the lineup in a a week or two. Two quick ones. One, if they were to rotate through, if there was, because this this happens sometimes, if there would be a next man up. Right now they're at with with Rizicka knocking on the door, ready to return. He's missed the last two weeks with a shoulder injury. So with Rizicka close, with Manjapati suspended, he'll come back in on Friday in Toronto. But if there were to be a next man up for the Wranglers, forward specifically. You want to take this one first? Is it Adam Klapka? I'm going to give you another name. I'm going to say yes to Adam Klapka just because he was a great guest with us on Friday. Yeah. And add a little size to this mix. I'd be all for it. Yeah. And certainly for a couple of reasons, I think Adam Klapka is probably the the best guess. What good one hand reason, as well. He's a right hand. Yeah. One reason being that he was one of the last guys cut in training camp. And and that still has a lot of weight at this time of season when you're trying to figure out who you might bring up. Uh and the other reason being he he's now the leading scorer with Connor Zary gone. He has seven points in eight games. That makes him the the leading the point producer, leading yeah, score. actively for the Wranglers. He, the other name I'll give you is another guy who's stuck around till the end of camp, and that's Cole Schwint. And my curiosity is really peaked. At, and let me let me preface this by saying I have not in person seen the Calgary Wranglers play this season, so this is not Wes Gilbertson's scouting report on Cole Schwint and and all the notes I've taken while sitting at the Saddledome, but. He started this season on a line with Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil. And that line has clearly caught the attention of the Flames brass. It, it's clearly been the go-to line or was the go-to line when the, all three of them were there for the Calgary Wranglers. And for that reason, especially as you're still looking for a solution for your fourth line center, is it going to be Dylan Dubé? Is it going to be Adam Ruzicka? How are you going to handle this? I would not be surprised if Cole Schwint is the next guy we see get a shot. Yeah, could see that too. Similar thing. One of the last cuts. Same yeah. same reasoning or similar reasoning to what you just said with Klapka. I want to I want to before we hit the round table, I want to pick up on what you said about Nazem Kadri about 10 minutes ago because I'm with you. I I don't think it's a coincidence that Kadri looks like he's got uh, a ton more jump. It just feels like Zeri specifically is the right type of player to play with Nazem. I got into a little bit of a argument or two on the phone lines on Saturday after the win about Kadri because I felt that the Dallas game, Kadri was the best player on the ice. And that's not a knock on Zeri, who is great as well, but I thought Kadri was the, the bus driver, the number one bus driver for Calgary and was a tone setter. And I thought that that was Kadri's best game. Clearly for me, the best game of the season and best game he probably played since like November or December of last year. And so you see that and then they go into Seattle and Kadri's impactful again. He picks up another point. He's up to four points in his last three games. He is engaged. He's skating. There's some speed there. He's creative. You talk about him defensively and I'm, I'm with you there. What we're seeing from Kadri of late is maybe without without diminishing what Zeri or Pospisil or Solovyov have done, what we're seeing from the second highest paid player on the team might be the most positive thing that we've seen in the last week or so because Calgary desperately needs 
both Kadri and Huberdo to be significantly more impactful. But in talking just about Kadri, they need him to be an offensive leader on a nightly basis, and they need him to be a tone setter. That's what that's that's where I think Kadri is at his best when he sets a tone every time he's on the ice. And we have seen it more often than not when he was in Toronto, and more often than not when he was in Colorado. And we saw it lots in October and November en route to him being an All Star last year. We didn't see it anywhere near enough down the stretch last year, and maybe not enough to start the season specifically the last two or three games, and even a little further back than that, it feels like Kadri's game is starting to pick up. And I know there are lots who are like, well, yeah, but he should be because he's paid X amount of dollars or he shouldn't need Zeri to be a spark for whatever. The fact of the matter is it's happening and the Flames have desperately needed that from him. That to me is a big positive. Yeah, absolutely. And give... Like, I, I keep saying Connor Zary deserves some credit for the way Nazem Kadri's played it, and I absolutely believe that. But let's give Nazem Kadri more than just a bit of credit here because we're talking about the second highest paid player on the team. We're talking about a guy who's been going through a rotten stretch. We're talking about a guy who could take being put with a rookie in his NHL debut the wrong way. And... I think we've seen the exact opposite. I think we've we've seen a commitment from Nazem Kadri to be the best player on that line. To to really, Igor Sharangovich is not a guy with gobs of NHL experience either, and and Nazem Kadri has really taken both guys, at least from my vantage point, under his wing. He he has been the the number one bus driver, as you say, for that line. I. I think one of those sort of underrated moments in the victory in Seattle, the the kind of moments that you need to especially get out of a slump is when the game's 2-1 for the Kraken and Maddie Beneers has a really dangerous chance in the offensive zone. Nazem Kadri gets his stick in there and disrupts it. Yeah, That was one of those moments where you go, okay, geez, you really couldn't afford to go down by two there. And so, yeah. I, I get it. You can look at the plus minuses and, and criticize Nazem Kadri. I've been among those probably criticizing him the most loudly on, on this program and, and what I've been writing. I, I They were not getting enough from Nazem Kadri leading into the Heritage Classic, perhaps even in the Heritage Classic, despite him scoring his first goal of the season. These past two have been yep. what you need to see from Nazem Kadri. This is uh, head coach Ryan Huska was asked about Kadri and spoke a little bit about him on Monday following practice. His play hasn't changed from really day one. Like his work ethic has been there. And sometimes he's been a guy that's gone up and down in regards to points when he puts them on the board. But um, you would be concerned if you saw the work ethic dip. Um, and he's not putting the points up because that's a different situation. But I, I felt like his work has been as consistent, if not more consistent, than any of our forwards in regards to how he's skating and competing. Um, so you did feel it was a matter of time before things would start to go for him. What, what's, what do you like about his influence maybe on guys on the bench, whether talking or, or having a kid like Zary next to him? How do you find Nazim has had an influence on those? I think the one thing that I've noticed with him, he's almost taking um, Zars under his wing a little bit where um, maybe um, Connor makes the wrong play or a play that you can do something differently and you always see cats like float by him and it's not hey you got to do this it's like hey no problem next time we got it so I've seen a lot of growth in him in that regard and I think he's I think he's almost realizing that hey I'm up there in age now and I am a leader here and I have to help bring some of these younger guys along and I think he's done a good job with that. The promising things to hear from the head coach those are the types of things you want to hear from your second highest paid player and one of the guys with recent championship pedigree on your team. You want to hear those types of things. So I thought that was promising. Yeah, absolutely. And give them credit where it's due. There's been a lot of, of people who have been quick to criticize Nazem Kadri and, and the numbers toward the end of last season. And certainly at the start of this season have made it quite easy to criticize. If we can see the Nazem Kadri we've seen in these last couple of games on a more consistent basis, it's going to be a really big development for the Calgary Flames. Just uh, quickly, and and this doesn't tell the whole story, but at all strengths, whoops, at all strengths, Kadri leads the Flames with 67 shot attempts, 40 scoring chances, 
and 19 high-danger scoring chances. He's second only to Mackenzie Weger with 33 shots on net. He also leads the team with 11 high-dangers at 5-on-5. So, I know the numbers are not super sexy when you take a look at goals and assists, and I know that at times he can be a very frustrating player by the eye, and I think a lot of times the criticism that we have levied has been warranted. But, I do think that he has been maybe a little bit more around it and a little bit more impactful than just the goals and the assists would suggest so far through 11 games. And now, over the last two games, at least in my opinion, and not everybody agrees, I know you do, but not, for instance, the text line might not, but now, by my eye, we're also starting to see some of the the visual cues that you want to see in Kadri's game. The edge... Uh, a little bit of snarl, a little bit more speed, a little bit more brashness with his creativity. Seeing that a little bit. Like, he's a damn skilled player, and I don't know if we ever talk about his high level of skill enough. I know maybe he doesn't dance by blue liners entering the zone the same way Johnny Gaudreau did, but he's still a very skilled player. I don't know. We're just, I'm seeing more of the Nazem Kadri we saw to start last year and more of what I thought we were going to see when they signed him. And I, that's a big time good sign. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, we've seen him call his own number on, on a couple of two on ones recently, which always sort of points to blossoming confidence yep. for me when, a, when a guy's not trying to force the pass when he, when he wants to let it rip in that situation there, there are good signs there. Now, you know, the devil's advocate view is that the number of, of games you're probably not, as pleased with with Nazem Kadri might still outnumber the ones you feel really good about this season. But, you know, we're going to talk about a team that, that on Saturday took a step in the right direction. We're going to talk about a team that going back to the third period of Wednesday's four, three loss, the Dallas stars have, has seemed to start to build on some positives. Yep. Well, Nazem Kadri has been one of the positives. He's one of the reasons this team seems to be turning things in the right direction. It's Pat and Wes this hour of Flames Talks underway. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, time now for our Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. Um, it's Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Gents, the uh, NHL and the Department of Player Safety have suspended Andrew Monchapani one game for the cross-check he delivered to Seattle's Jared McCann in the first period of Saturday's game against Seattle. Here's the explanation from the Department of Player Safety. Monchapani attempts a shot on goal that is blocked by the sliding McCann. McCann ends up on the ice in front of Mangiapane with the puck under him. With McCann on the ice, Mangiapane shoves McCann in the upper back and neck, which causes his head to strike the ice. This is cross-checking. It is important to note that we accept Mangiapane's contention that he does not intend to drive McCann's head into the ice on this play. In addition, we acknowledge that this is not a case in which a player uses the full extension of his arms or his body weight to strike an opponent or intentionally drive him violently into the ice. However, Mangiapane is in control throughout this sequence and makes the decision to deliver a reckless cross check to a player lying vulnerable on the ice, which causes McCann's head to impact the ice. So a one-game suspension on top of a match penalty and a five-minute major on Saturday. That's what the Department of Player Safety levies. Uh, we found that out on Sunday evening. Guys, what do we make of a one-game suspension to Andrew Mangiapane, the second former Barry Colt suspended by for the Flames uh, so far this season? Well, first of all, was that Texie McTexterson that did the voiceover for that DOPS video? Uh, that was folks. Is that is that not Patrick Burke? Is that who does the voiceovers? <laughs> I don't know, but it it sounded like the that voice that I hear on the morning show from time to time. But uh, as far as the play. Uh, 
I, I think the call made in game was correct. Um, I'm not sure that there was necessarily an intent to injure, but I did think that it was a five minute major. And I would have been surprised if Manjapani, despite the fact that he doesn't have a history with the Department of Player Safety, didn't get at least a fine, if not a suspension. So uh, wasn't surprised to see that he got a game. Uh, for those of us who know Manjapani, he's a really good guy. And even though he does have a temper, uh, I don't think that uh, he was trying to, to hurt Jared McCann on the play. But you, you've got to control your stick and you've got to control your temper. And his frustration has boiled over on a few occasions this season. And I'm sure he was frustrated that he wasn't able to score a goal and put the Flames in a better spot in that game and, and just didn't react the right way. But uh, ultimately, they lost him before the nine-minute mark and were able to overcome that. And now they're going to have to try to get through 60 minutes without their leading goal score in tomorrow's game against the Predators. So hopefully a lesson learned. And hopefully the fact that the Flames were able to win that game uh, in 50-plus minutes without him will uh, help his frustration level a little bit when he returns to the lineup later this week. I feel like if we go back a, a couple of weeks to when Rasmus Anderson's suspension came down at four games, I know that the reaction around the Saddle Dome or among the, the Flames staff and, and even players was one of, holy, like really four games? And I think it would have been the exact opposite this time. I, I do think there was some fear, some worry that Andrew Mangiapane might be lost for more than a, a one-game suspension. And so I think if you're the Flames you're looking at this one and going, okay, we, we can live with that. It, it didn't look great, obviously, in real time. And then I know on, on Hockey Night, they showed the, the replay of a sequence that Jamie Benn got a two-game suspension for in the playoffs last year. You could certainly make the argument that Andrew Mangiapane's, again, in real time, looked worse than that. I think when you slow it down and, and the force doesn't seem to be as much, maybe... Maybe that helped his case in his hearing, but I think you can you can certainly take one as a little bit of a sigh of relief. You're, you're not loving having to play Tuesday night without your leading marksman, and yet I think you can look at one game and go, okay, we we might have come out of that one on on the positive side. Yeah, I uh, I, I came away with it. I, I really I didn't know what the Department of Player Safety was going to do. Certainly on Saturday when we were talking about it and when you got texts and calls about it, I wasn't sure what we were going to see. I didn't have a I didn't have anywhere near as good a feel on that one as I did on the Anderson one. And I, I don't even know why. It just felt like that one. I was like, I don't know what they're going to do. Then we found out Sunday morning that he's going to have a hearing. So you're like, okay, he's probably going to get suspended. Most times when you have a hearing, they go suspension and not fine. But again, I, I, I didn't know what they were going to do. The only thing that I was fairly confident in was that they were going to look at the match penalty where Derek, to your point, he missed 50 plus minutes of a hockey game and, and hurt his team. When I mean that you go down to 11 forwards when you're not expecting to, that, that puts things in a little bit of a blender and makes things a little less ideal for your group. So I think that they looked at that as, okay, well that's pretty much a one game suspension. So whatever we levy to him, it'll be that plus one. And, and I do think the department of player safety looks at supplemental discipline like that. It's why maybe Rasmus Anderson got four instead of maybe three when it was all said and done because of the timing of his hit in Columbus. So yeah, I thought I thought one game seemed seemed fine when you take into account that even when you listen to the Department of Player Safety, I I, I really don't think he was intending to do exactly what he did. Yet what he did was still reckless. He's got no history of being a dirty player. He has no history with the Department of Player Safety, so you can you can give him a punishment, but also you can let him off easier than maybe other players in a similar situation where it's a little less easy to give the player the benefit of the doubt. So yeah, I thought I thought it was actually when when you heard the explanation and when you go back and watch it and you take everything into account, the timing, all of it, one game seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think that was just frustration boiling over for Majapani because we saw frustration from him at times in games prior to Saturdays where he didn't take it to, to that extreme, but it's been a frustrating start to the season, even though he leads the team in goals for him and obviously for the flames. So, you know, just 
probably to him felt like another missed opportunity, uh, another instance where you know he felt like he probably had a good chance to to score a goal and couldn't put the puck in his opponent's net and in the heat of the moment uh, reacted in a way that he shouldn't have. And it cost him the final, what, 51 minutes and 15 seconds of that hockey game on Saturday. And, you know, thankfully for him, his team was able to find a way to win without him. But for a team that's had trouble scoring goals this season, subtracting your leading goal getter, uh, a guy who has twice as many goals as anybody else on the team, is not ideal for the Flames going into a game against a Western Conference opponent in the Predators and potentially a team that they're going to have to fight with for a playoff spot if they can get back into the race. So hopefully lesson learned. Uh, the mood at practice uh, seemed pretty upbeat today, as it should, because they're coming off what I think was their best performance of the season. Manjapani was out there, looked like he was in a pretty good mood, but I'm sure it'll be tough for him. He is a competitor. Uh, we know that about him. So I'm sure it's going to be tough for him to sit up in the press box with us and watch tomorrow night's game. If if I can just look at the bright side for one second, the, the one thing I will say is that, and it was obviously very limited, as Derek said, he was kicked out nine minutes into the game, but... I thought we saw some real glimpses from that Flames top line in those nine minutes, That the sort of glimpses that I'd been waiting to see from, from that trio. I mean, Jonathan Huberto sauces one across to Andrew Mangiapane on their first shift. He probably should have had a goal there, certainly had a good look at one. Elias Lindholm set him up for one a few minutes later. I I, I am curious, and I, I know there's always the option to put him back with Backlund and Coleman, and, and yet... Based on just those nine minutes, I do wonder if maybe there was a hint of chemistry there with Huberto and Lindholm, and that's something we've been waiting for. And Wes, when I had a chance, or when we had a chance uh, as a group of broadcasters to chat with Ryan Huska uh, last week, I asked him if, to this point, Andrew Mangiapane was the best fit on the right side of a line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto, and he said yes. So... I think the coaches are hoping that uh, whatever chemistry is there continues to build because, as we know, there's been a, a revolving door on the right side of that line, and they'd love to find someone to play with their number one left winger and their number one centerman. And so far, uh, Mangiapane's been the best fit on the right side of that line. So let's hope that uh, that continues when he gets back in the lineup in a couple of games. Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, West, Pat on this Monday 6-3 final. The couple empty net goals for the Flames on Saturday. Their losing skid snapped at six, and now they can try for their first consecutive wins of the season Tuesday at home to Nashville. So I think we're all in agreement that Saturday's game, best complete performance for Calgary of the season against a divisional opponent on the road where they trailed at two different occasions. So what are the biggest building or maybe what's the biggest building block the Flames can take from Saturday and use Tuesday against the Preds? Well, I certainly thought it was their most complete performance of the season and I asked Ryan Huska about it uh, earlier on this Monday, and uh, he said uh, that's the way he saw it as well. So uh, I think it was a, a really solid almost 60 minutes. And it, it's so cliche to say, well, you got to play 60 minutes. Very rarely, if ever, is a team the better of the two teams for literally 60 minutes, unless you're playing the Sharks maybe. But the Flames, I think there have been a number of games this season, guys, where they've been the better of the two teams for two of the three periods, including that 4-3 loss to the Stars late last week, where they didn't get the right result. So their mindset uh, had to be, well, being the better of the two teams for 40 or so minutes hasn't been good enough. We're going to have to be the better of the two teams for a lot closer to 60 minutes, and that's what I thought they were in that game against the Kraken. And I know that they fell behind on a couple of occasions. And I think what impressed me the most was for a team that went into that game with probably very little confidence next to no momentum. They didn't look like a fragile team. They just stuck with their game despite falling behind one, nothing. They got that goal right back. And then they fell behind two, one, and they got that goal back pretty quickly. So the fact that they were able to bounce back on both occasions and just stick with their game for Pretty much a full 60 minutes. That's what impressed me the most. I think when we talk about building blocks, when we when we talk about what you can take forward, and this sounds like such a an elementary answer, but 
the biggest building block for me is that they didn't figure out a way to lose on Saturday. This is a team, and, and as Derek said, that has had some really good stretches and found a way to give it away. They they give up three goals Wednesday against the Dallas Stars in a stretch of, I don't remember exactly, but eight or nine minutes, and, and suddenly that game is, is sort of gotten away from them. I, I just thought the way they sort of responded when they got down a goal on that penalty kill because of Andrew Mangiapane's match penalty, the way that they responded and, and found a way to tie it up at the end of the second period to get some sort of positive vibes going into the third, and then the way they rallied from there, it just was a team that finally figured out a way to get one to the finish line, that found a way to get a lead and not give it back. And I think for their confidence, as much as anything, that is such an important building block for the Flames moving forward. I I just thought like the the what what I first of all I thought the most important part was that they just they had some offensive success, and I know that four three turned into six three because of a couple of hundred and eighty foot or one hundred and sixty foot empty net goals. I grant you that, but even still. For them to come home with a six on the scoreboard for them in a win, I think that was huge, and I, I think that's a big-time confidence or, or, or something that could be, if they make it, good for their confidence. But I just I, I felt like they did a better job of, and the best job maybe they've done all season, of responding to kind of that in-game adversity and those in-game momentum swings. And I thought that was the best biggest takeaway I had was that yeah it was one nothing after the the power play goal and you know what instead of letting that snowball and you know that crowd was buzzing they had just seen Manjapani get kicked out they were out for blood it's one nothing you know uh, uh, a really nice uh, a good celebration on that one nothing goal you're like okay Seattle's feeling it now then they got lots of zone time they're getting some opportunity they don't score and the Flames do a nice job of killing off that penalty. They ride the momentum properly and then they tie it. And then a few minutes later, a little bit of a rough play for Mackenzie Weger. Wasn't even what I would call just a, an egregious giveaway, which is a rough play and maybe a little bit unlucky too. Tic-tac-toe, it's 2-1 and you're down again and you're like, geez, we just fought back to tie it and we're down again and what did they do? Came out in the second period, played really solid and they were a minute away from going into the second intermission down 2-1. They were a second away from having a extended power play not go for anything and they still found a way to score and so I just like the way that they rode the momentum far more effectively and were a whole lot more um they were just a whole lot more able to stick to it for basically an entire night and sticking to it doesn't mean to your point Derek does not mean that you're dominating because the other team plays a big part in who's dominating too but sticking with your details and sticking with your plan and sticking with the way that you need to play is something you can control over 60 minutes. And I thought the Flames did a really good job of that. So to me, that is the number one thing to take away is just, hey, they they dealt with the ebbs and flows of a hockey game far better than they really have at any point this season. Yeah, and for me, another uh, building block or stepping stone is the fact that they took what probably felt like about a thousand pound building blockers stepping stone off their back. And it's something that I asked Ryan Husko about last week. I asked the head coach uh, how hard it's been to keep spirits up and how hard the coaches have had to work to do that with the way the season has started, because guys, I still think there's a hangover from last season or the last two seasons, however you look at it. And that things were starting to get heavy again. And Ryan Huska talked about that in his media availability on Monday as well. So the fact that they were able to, to get the monkey off their back and, and maybe feel a little bit lighter again, I think that could be huge for this team moving forward. Think about that photo that circulated after the game of Jonathan Huberto's reaction when the Flames iced that game. Like, don't you think that's how they all felt? Don't you think that's how a lot of Flames fans felt? Just that sense of relief. Thank God we found a way to win a game. Because, guys, with how heavy last season was and how heavy things were starting to feel again this season, 
even though I know for a fact the coaches have worked really hard to to prevent the guys from feeling that way, and, and the leadership group has probably done the same, I just think it was so important for the Flames to, to fight through that in-game adversity of falling behind that once but twice, of losing their leading goal scorer nine minutes into the hockey game, and to find a way to finally win. I, I think that they look like a lighter team at practice today, and uh, when you feel that way, when you don't feel like you're playing with the weight of the world on your back, I think it allows you to, to play better hockey. So I'm anxious to see where they go from here. It would be uh, certainly good for the mood if where they go from here is another victory. Because yeah. if suddenly you get off a six-game skid, but you win one and, and then you yo-yo back onto the other side, yep. those, those vibes can disappear pretty quickly. And I am curious, you know, going back to Wednesday against Dallas, I think this is two games back-to-back that they've, they've built some momentum for themselves. Curious how we see that play out tomorrow against the Predators. Yep. Yeah, and Wes, to your point, going into the Heritage Classic, a lot of people, including me, said, I think whoever wins this game can use this as a springboard to potentially turn their season around. I know the Flames felt that way going into the game. I know the Oilers felt that way going into the game. The Oilers won the game, and it didn't turn their season around. And now you could argue that things are even heavier in Edmonton than they are in Calgary. So you're right. If, if the Flames can string a couple of wins together and maybe win two out of three on the road trip, then maybe they have turned their season around. But if they can't back up a good game on Saturday with another one on Tuesday, then maybe not. Thank you, Wilsey. Talk to you tomorrow on Tuesday. Okay, guys. Have a good night. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we start to wrap up this hour of Flames Talk, thanks to our producers, Cam and Taylor as well. Wes is on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. And that has been your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.